It's a Tuesday, which means that the weekend is uh, better memory. But what it really means is that it's time for your favorite uh, podcast, your favorite sporting podcast, your favorite hockey podcast. It is Hockey the Podcast. The name says it all. Episode number 54. It's phenomenal to think that we've come all this way. uh, And I know we keep on patting ourselves on the back, but uh, yeah, we're pretty proud of our efforts. And uh, once again, we have another stellar guest uh, lined up. Courtesy of Tyron Jabu Barnard, who is the uh, the talent scout. Uh, but this uh, man, he didn't really need to go far to get this talent because um, it's another return, Ty. Uh, another double showing, uh, we're happy to say. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Derek. Uh, it's uh, obviously great to be on the podcast again. We've been spending a lot of time on uh, some quizzes and, and they've been great. But it's always great to get back and, and chatting about hockey and of course, you mentioned that we, we have a returnee. It's uh, our third returnee after Cindy and Springs. And uh, for this one, we had to go all the way back, not to episode five, not to episode seven, but all the way back to episode one, where we interviewed the supermodel known as Lloyd <laughs> Norris Jones, uh, good old Chuck. And, and of course, lots has changed in Chuck's life since we chatted in episode one. So I'm sure he'll share some of that for us all today. And of course, some great uh, uh, things he's been writing on social media about changing the game of hockey um, for the better. And and what a great time a lot of us have done that, reflecting in the the lockdown, the various lockdowns. Of course, uh, Chuck is talking to us from Germany, so their lockdown is a lot uh, less German than our lockdown was. But um, yeah, it's going to be a good chat. So uh, Chuck, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks, Tyron. Thanks, Derek, for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. I mean, first and foremost, before we dive into the hockey uh, and, and chatting all things hockey, obviously, you've your world has changed slightly since we last chatted to you. Uh, <laughs> would you like to share that with everybody, Chuck? Yeah, not so slightly. Um, <laughs> yeah, since we last spoke, um, uh, my... yeah. My wife and I, we fell pregnant with our first, uh, she is currently 34 weeks um, down the road. So yeah, we are quite fortunate that we are here um, based in Germany because yeah, the support system for, uh, for, for women with children or yeah, for married couples is uh, incredibly good. And she goes on maternity leave six weeks before um, due date and yeah we have the opportunity to have up to 12 months of maternity leave uh yeah which is phenomenal because it just gives so much time and so much opportunity for for us to to bond with the, the baby yeah no i mean it is a, it's a really really cool thing uh that they have there in europe i, I mean i know if you go over to uh sweden or norway i think it's uh I think it's Sweden that it's 12 months, but uh, the father has to take two, mm. mother has to take two, and then the other eight you can choose which one takes. So that's pretty much identical here as well. Oh, brilliant. I get two, and Debbie gets 12. And if we wanted to, we can um, combine that and take 14 and then split it. So I can get seven, and Debbie can get seven, and we can yeah, um, share the responsibilities over those seven, first seven months of the, the baby's life. And of course, I mean, when, you, when you're on, on daddy duty, obviously it's going to be on the side of a... a... <laughs> um, 
at least for the first few months, it will be indoor hockey around here. So I won't be um, as involved on the hockey pitch, um, which is uh, really cool. Um, baby is due on the 26th of October and our last game of the, of the first half of the season is the 24th of October. So I will then have November, December, January, February and, and March at least um, with you know, uh, 70, 80% of my time um, you know, with the baby. And then I, I've got some coaching duties uh, with the indoor side. So yeah, oh, that's, that's really exciting. Nothing wrong with that. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, dialing in, um, you are. Uh, we we are going to talk just about your own hockey first uh, before we talk uh, on the bigger picture. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, you're back in Germany playing with Hamburg, and uh, how has uh, the season started with no fans and and I mean, obviously that um, experience. It's a little bit different here. We've got, uh, we are allowed up to 200 fans. They have to pre-register before they come to the, the pitch. Um, but because of um, the, the protocols that they're putting in place, they're obviously um, ensuring that everyone is uh, socially distancing themselves from each other. Um, and yeah, we, we played our first weekend last weekend. I unfortunately didn't play. I sustained a knee injury um, a few weeks ago um, that has kept me out for yeah, probably four weeks in total. So um, I start my first uh, full training tonight and see how it goes. If it doesn't go, um, if I can't train at 100%, then I will um, miss out this weekend as well. And then quite uh, fortuitously, next weekend is Pro League weekend. And then we have a single game on the following weekend. So that means that yeah, if I miss this weekend, which is you know, not a complete train smash, um, I can then fully recover over the next two weeks uh, for a single header weekend that we've got out in Nuremberg. So, Brilliant. And how, how did the team do this past weekend? We beat um, one team from Mannheim uh, called TSV Mannheim uh, 2-1. And then we drew against uh, Mannheim Hockey Club, which is one of the top uh, clubs in European hockey at the moment. We drew with them two all. We were leading twice in the game, and but yeah, it was a pretty great game to watch. Um, and yeah, if you actually really want to watch any of our games, you can watch it on uh, on YouTube. You just follow UHC Live, and you can see all of our home games and a lot of other games um, live streamed uh, to YouTube. And I mean, uh, Czech obviously globally. Uh, the Huerta Klasse in Holland is always spoken about as the premier uh, club hockey league. How do you think the Bundesliga stacks up against it? Um, the top teams in the Bundesliga uh, certainly stack up against the top teams in, in, in Holland. Um, they are on sort of an even keel. Um, I believe that yeah, the, the Bundesliga is, is very com competitive all the way through. You've got pr uh, pretty much 10 teams that can compete with each other on any weekend. Um, the other two teams that, are, that usually come up from the, the second division uh, generally struggle uh, initially. Um, but if they manage to stay in, the, in the, the Bundesliga for at least a season or two, um, yeah, they then start attracting other players and... Yeah, become a mainstay and, and become very competitive. 
Um, the Hoofde class, I mean, it, pretty much every team in the Hoofde class is really good, but your top sort of five or six teams are, are way better than the teams that are in the bottom six. Um, and you can see that in the results on the, on the weekends. So um, I believe that, yeah, I'd say our top three or four clubs in the Bundesliga would compete with the top three or four clubs in, in the Hoofde class. Lloyd, uh, how are you doing officially? I know we chatted a bit before we went on here. And, you know, I'll never forget that famous quote from Sense of a Woman, a uh, movie that I really, really enjoy. Uh, it was Al Pacino with Lieutenant uh, Colonel Frank Slade, I think it was, he was playing. And uh, he was telling the, the, the young guy that was working for him to, to call the hotel and make sure that it's filled with wall-to-wall with John Daniels. And the little guy said, don't you mean Jack Daniels? And he said, well, he may be Jack to you, but when you've known him as long as I have... Um, that's a joke. <laughs> so, and I feel the same way because uh, I know the tie has been calling you Chuck, but uh, we know each other, but not that well. So I'll continue calling you Lloyd um, for now. <laughs> uh, but that's pretty amazing when you speak about how things are done a bit differently with the 200 pre-registered fans. Because as you know, we're sitting in South Africa where you can't get a solitary fan uh, through any doors uh, for any sporting event at the moment. And and how does that work? I mean, that, that, that's an incredible process. And interesting where Tyron said up front, he said that Germany is doing things a, a lot more un-German than South Africa are doing uh, with regards to the lockdown. And, and that has to be said. But, I mean, if you ever talk about efficiency, it doesn't get much more efficient than Germany. Uh, has it been? Has it gone down really, really well? No hiccups in terms of the fans with the 200 pre-registered? And, and the fact that you're getting 200 fans is, is pretty cool as well. Yeah, it's obviously very important for the clubs to have these fans coming in um, because they generate uh, money at the gate and they also generate money at the bar. Um, it's a little bit different for footballers because, or football clubs because they they generate so much money through um, through broadcasting rights and through sponsorship deals. Um, so they don't necessarily need to have fans in the stadiums. Um, but for obviously for a smaller club like um, UHC and all the hockey clubs, it's incredibly important to have at least 200 fans uh, come in. We usually get in the region of about, I'd say, 500 to 1,000, depending on if it's a derby weekend. But the process is quite simple. They've, they've put up a, um, a ticketing system on our, um, our hockey shop that we've got at the club. Um, and you pre-register, you, you, it costs nothing to pre-register um, and uh, if you once you check out it still says zero so you have to pay cash at the door because um, Germans love their cash um, they don't use plastic or they don't pay online they, they don't seem to like that <laughs> um, but yeah it's I, I think that's that's the most important is that um, yes they're they're efficient and they and they love their efficiency um, but yeah, I think the most important was to make sure that the clubs can survive. Yeah. And, and I mean, with you during lockdown, I, I can imagine from a sports person's perspective, it must, must have been incredibly scary. And you spoke about the broadcast rights, et cetera, when it comes to football. And, you know, I actually watched a statement yesterday from the chairman of the European footballing governing body, I think it was. And, and he said that, uh, football clubs must start preparing themselves for the worst in terms of cash because the rebates are going towards the broadcasters, not the clubs. 
because mm. a lot of the, the, for instance, you look at the, the Champions League, for instance, uh, of course, it was reduced to, to single leg games and, and that was literally half of the matches weren't broadcast. So they, yeah. they, they're plying all that money back or what they can into the broadcasters and the, the, the football clubs are taking a hit. I think it was in the regional something like 350 billion totaled across Europe, obviously. So, so they're in for a massive scare. And uh, hockey, of course, you, you can't even talk nearly those numbers are not even close but as a professional sports person i mean were you nipping at one stage when when covid really hit and you realized wow uh, my livelihood could be in serious danger here? um yes at one stage but um in saying that as well uh the the system here was was phenomenal not just for myself but for for anyone that was employed um uh, in germany they have this thing called uh kurzarbeit which is like short work and it means that the state uh, paid for a part of my salary and a part of um, a lot of other people's salaries. And then the, um, the hockey club would then top up um, the, the remaining amount. Um, and because I'm on a contract yet, um, they couldn't just let me go. Um, and if they did let me go, then at least the state would help me um, with a, you know, a, a percentage of my um, employment uh, contract so yeah we were really taken care of here and and um it's obviously great that the government can uh that has they have enough funds to be able to do that for their citizens um and yeah i think that you know as soon as lockdown actually hits we um we knew that uh, it was just going to be a waiting period and we put a lot of protocols and things in place uh, within the team and within the, the league to make sure that um, at least we could start playing by September this year. So, um, yeah, they, they were very thorough um, and they, they made sure that they were in communications with the clubs all the time to, to at least work out a solution and it wasn't just, you know, let's just wait and see what happens. Yeah, Chuck, and, and obviously it's it's great to be. I mean, considering that the the struggles that you have endured over your career, um, and the difficulties that it has been in terms of financial and um, a a large cost out of your pocket, it just must be a nice situation to be in where you are being looked after a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when you're a a professional sportsman like a footballer then you 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 know you've got job security for for a while um for at least the remaining part of your contract if it's three or four years or so um for a hockey player it's you, you're always sort of working on on year by year and you know obviously if you're employed by a club um here in germany you're taken care of um and if you're not taken care of by the club then you're taken care of by the state so yeah, it was it was reassuring, and as a hockey player, yeah, having um, the struggles that I've had in the past with yeah with funding and so on, and having to pay your own way in, in a lot of of tours and so on, especially with IPTs and something, and a couple of times with the national team, yeah, it's obviously um, a great position to be in, and yeah, I'm very fortunate that I'm that I'm here and that I can that I can speak from this position. Well, and, and Chuck, you're also speaking, uh, you know, the reason we uh, chatted again was, uh, well, we, we've chatted a few times, but you were sharing some great uh, 
thought-provoking um, debates on on social media, and I want to dive into the first one, and, and I want to chat about that. And you called it hockey needs a reboot. Um, yes. We have a, a sport that is largely tournament-based, which really doesn't. Uh, and, and obviously, I'm talking specifically here from a national point of view. It's a very tournament-based sport that doesn't really give your um, your sponsors any sort of long-term exposure. Uh, we we've tried to build the test status by uh, going into um, what's the word uh, the pro league to uh, try and get to the point where we uh, are having a test match thing, but it, it it became more and more exclusive rather than an inclusive thing like a model like the rugby the rugby world or even potentially the football world. Um, and, and there's a lot of different angles to this. So, I mean, let, let's start on your side and then then I'll share my thoughts. And, uh, you know, we encourage all listeners to get in touch and share their thoughts as well. Yeah. And so, I've, yeah, I've put out two sort of ideas and, and obviously just wanting to, to um, spark some sort of reaction from the hockey community so we can start talking about it, start brainstorming ideas. And the first one was... Yeah, more based around world hockey and how we can uh, improve world hockey, um, taking some lessons from from football. And one of the things that that football has is a really strong European um, uh, football league, where not necessarily UEFA Champions League, but more just uh, the local leagues, and how that has created um, yeah the professionalism in in world football. Um over the, the decades. Um, football has a, a very um, easy to follow sort of, of sport. Hockey is a, a little bit different because of all the different rules. And um, you know, it's a little trickier to try and, and bring in new spectators or, or new fans. But yeah, the ideas that's, that I was, what I was looking at more was towards a, um, a, a unified calendar so you have your European leagues that uh, play at a certain time and they, and they like football. They create um, international weekends where now we can actually start watching international um, hockey on a more um, regular basis instead of uh, you know, at, at certain times. I think that and when I say at certain times, I mean at certain periods. So it's like it, it, that's what I'm talking about when I say it's event-based. The Pro League has come in and it's been quite difficult to find a slot um, in the calendar that doesn't impede too much on the, um, on the European leagues. And that's obviously where we need to try find some balance where the collaboration between um, the FIH and the European Hockey Federation needs to find a solution where you go, okay, most important thing right now, like football, are the, the European leagues. Let's make sure we can get players to come from all over the world to play in these leagues, okay, and to try and grow um, the, the the vehicle that is European hockey, um, and then from there create certain periods um, throughout the season um, to allow um, hockey to get onto TV on the weekends or during the week, whenever it might be. But at least then you know that hockey is going to be getting onto TV for seven, eight, nine months on a consistent basis throughout the year. Um, so 
the the pro league has been fighting and the FIH has been fighting to try and get hockey onto TV, but it is the the European leagues and um, the FIH haven't really seen eye to eye up, up until this point. And I think that if we want to move anything forward, if we want to move hockey in South Africa forward, or if we want to move hockey in in Europe forward, we need collaboration. That's the most important thing. I think collaboration is the key word and it, it definitely affects, it transcends just hockey. We've seen it in South African sport, the massive amount of infighting uh, between a lot of unions. And, and and I think a lot of people just say, well, I mean, when are you eventually just going to communicate amongst each other and, and collaborate for the greater good of the particular sport? And and that's certainly the, the case uh, with hockey. And uh, I, I mean, I, I was... Very, very impressed with uh, a lot of your tweets. And when Ty mentioned that you wanted to come on board, I, I thought, well, does it have to do with uh, what you've been saying? And it wasn't just the fact that hockey people started discussing hockey with you, but it was people from other sports too. I mean, you did create quite a buzz uh, with uh, a, a lot of your ideas and a lot of your comments, and that was great to see. What, what, would, you, what would your ideal be in the future? Because we know that, that club hockey in the world is pretty much the 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 lifeline of, of hockey um but would you like to see club hockey or, or international hockey be the marquee of the sport um i think that it would have to go hand in hand yeah i think that's um yeah club hockey in europe um needs to be, that's what creates the fan base and i know that um living here in, in Germany or if you're in Holland or if you're in Belgium, you've got players at a younger level that you know, they, they bleed for their club. And it's the same for football as well. And um, while everyone likes to support their, their national teams, it's their club sides that they, that they, they love the most. Mm. Um, so I feel that there needs to be a, a balance. Um, we need to get hockey onto TV regularly and whether it's club hockey or whether it's uh, international hockey, um, it doesn't really matter. It just needs to be both at least. Um, it's not one before the other really. And and that can be allowed with one of your recommendations, having that international window, being able yeah, to, to focus on club. And then when you know that this two week period, this is where I start representing Germany or South Africa or, or like for like for like. Yeah. I th- my um, my idea was more sort of dovetailing the the international calendar. So your European leagues, let's say, participate between April and September, because during the cold months and they can play their um, their indoor hockey. Um, because a lot of the the, the northern and eastern European um, countries play indoor hockey because of the cold months. So moving the calendar um, between sort of March, April, and September, October. And then now you've got in the region of sort of eight, nine months to be able to, to, to play a European league and then sort of dovetail your, your international calendar so that every weekend you've got a new um, country that has an international weekend. Um, and then you've got teams coming from sort of all over the world, um, the likes of New Zealand, Australia, um, Argentina, the US, even South Africa coming into Europe for two, let's say two weekends and playing certain games. Um, I know that's, it does require quite a bit of, of funding, but we've got a lot of countries uh, in hockey that are funded by government uh, and, their, and, and their sporting programs. 
So the idea was more based on let's get uh, international hockey onto um, onto broadcasts around the world, um, and, and then yeah, just trying to make sure that sort of I know that during the during May and August is a nice window for um, for broadcasters like SuperSport to get hockey onto TV because there's no football. Um, and that's a, a huge window that needs to be exploited. Yeah, I, I look at it, Chuck, and I think about, for me, it's always been the case of, I, I think there's too many irrelevant tournaments in hockey. I think, um, you know, we'll have a FIH Open Series 3, 2, 1, and it's all to build to ultimately the best 12 teams playing in a tournament. Instead, I would love to see if we are going to say, okay, let's talk international hockey here. Well, let's have tiers. So you keep your World Cup and your Olympic Games. That's that's two things. And, you know, the Olympic Games potentially should be actually spoken about as either fives or indoor hockey uh, and moving away from outfield and make, make your World Cup your big thing. But have yeah. a proper World Cup qualifying series, not a AFCON in a week. You know, you, you follow almost the European model where you go uh, the the European Championship or even the Afcon or whatever in football, where okay this weekend South Africa and Egypt are playing and yes I know there's a cost involved but you create a commercial uh, desire. You also you also can create something where where people are so excited to watch. I remember when the World League semi-finals were here at Vips. It was two weeks. It was men and women, and there was five games every day, maybe four games every day. But because of that, the appetite started to drop quickly because it was there was almost too much. So people could pick yeah. and choose. Or, like I wanted to be that. Like when the Springboks play a test match at Ellis Park, everybody in Joburg wants to get there. If the Springboks play a test match at Cape Town Stadium, everyone wants to get there. Um, because you don't get to watch them play 20 times a year there. No. Um, I mean, I remember when I say women are sponsored by Investec and played China 18 times in 21 days. I mean, I, I eventually stopped going to games because I was just like, okay, cool, I'll go three days' time and watch. Yeah, so, so we, we don't do supply and demand well. But I also, I agree with you. I think we need to get to a point, uh, for me, we need to build club. We need the South African guys to have a, a great club structure here in South Africa. Um I'm I'm almost a fan of doing away with IPT completely. Um, I know that that would never happen, um, but I I just think it's a, a crazy tournament to put people who don't play together every week and pick your national national team from that. When you've got guys yeah. playing in the highest leagues in Germany, in Holland, in England, and if we had a great league structure, you know I can just compare it to last year. I went to the Belgatech's Elite Club Challenge in Durban. And um, I know that doesn't involve the varsities, but uh, I went and watched hockey there. And there was a game between Wanderers and Baloo, I mean, who are just complete opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of how they approach a game and stuff like that. That game itself, I think Wanderers will win as 5-3, was better than any game I saw at RPT, including the final. Um, And I'm saying if a national selector can watch that, you're seeing players play in a proper... A structured environment. I mean, I know we're blending over to the second point, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see something like that. I'd love to see one main tournament. I'd love to see, you know, an African Cup tournament happen 
but let's have yeah. some qualifiers for it. And then I'd love to see a test series. Imagine, imagine Germany come to South Africa and they play South Africa in a test in Cape Town. Then on Tuesday night, they play a Western Province Cricket Club and Western Province Cricket Club could do it as a fundraiser. Then on Thursday, they play another tour game against uh, uh, Pinelands. And then on Saturday, they play the second test against South Africa. Instead of yeah. playing five tests in a week, it would be, I just think we'd create more value that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, to get back to your first point, I think that um, when I first started playing club hockey uh, back in the year 2001, um, between 2001 and, and 2007, we were still playing um, champ of champs, which is your best clubs from each province that win their leagues. Then a month or two later after the leagues have finished, then play champ of champs, which is the, the best clubs in the country. And each year that would produce the best hockey in the country. That fell away after 2007 or 2008. And I remember going... In 2003 with Fishhook, we played it in Cape Town because we were invited to play it there. Sorry, I lied. That wasn't actually that one. Um, I played it three times with Tux. And we uh, were playing against Durban Tech. We were playing against Parklands. We were playing against West Coast Crew Club. We were playing against UCT. Um, Pinelands. Yeah, just we, we would play against all the best clubs in the country and the hockey that we were, were playing and producing over that uh, weekend were phenomenal. You played two games a day because you'd, you'd only be able to sort of get three, three tournament days in. But yeah, like you said, it was, the hockey was better because now you're training and playing with guys seven, eight months of the year and you've now won a league and now you go to champ, champs. Whereas uh, IPT hockey, you put all the best players together their end goal is to to try and make it into the national team. So it's uh, very seldom do you actually see um, like really good hockey where you you're playing as a team. You you got a lot of players that are, are are there to to make sure that they get seen by national selectors. And it's yeah, it, it's a it's a, a we basically just plug the hole. And yeah, it's it just seems that our. Um, position is just getting wider and wider between ourselves and the top teams in, in the world purely because, you know, we just don't have the right structures uh, in, in SA hockey at the moment, which is you know, very unfortunate. So, so let's talk about those structures and it leads perfectly into my next question, because this was uh, one of your main features of the discussion that you put out on social media. And that was regarding following a, a similar system to what's used in Australia. And you speak about where players are, are playing a lot together and, and you ideally want to, uh, players that are involved in the, the national hockey side to be to have one base uh, throughout the year. And uh, you say, for instance, in, in Australia, uh, if you're going to be playing hockey, you're going to be based in Perth, uh, and you'd like to bring everyone up here to Gauteng. To well, I say here because that's where I am, not where you are. But, um, yeah. yes, so that, that would be your ideal. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and yeah firstly a disclaimer um, I've played in, in Perth for three seasons and I've played in various leagues across the world so I'm trying to use my experience to try and better the game in South Africa and just sort of spark some some you know, discussion to to be able to move our national teams forward uh, I know that in Australia they've got a system that is um, yeah it's 
heavily uh, funded by the government and you've got your national players that are on uh, um, that are, are basically employed by uh, Hockey Australia and getting paid to play and to train um, we obviously can't do that because we don't have the funding for it so my idea was more a watered down version of that um, where we get players to, to, to sacrifice because if you want to go to the Olympic Games, if you want to go to a World Cup and you want to do well, you need to sacrifice something. And um, if, it's, you know, if it's sacrificing uh, a coffee at Bike and Bean on the Durban beachfront every morning for, you know, to, to be able to at least go to an Olympic Games and compete and to potentially you know, get ourselves into the top six or top eight as a starter and then move closer towards uh, a meddling position in the next two or three Olympic cycles, then, you know, I think those sacrifices are, are, are worth it. Um, uh, the Australian system has talent identification programs at each of the state uh, levels. So under 14 and 16 and 18, uh, if you're good enough, once you've made it through under 18 and, and have been training with uh, sort of, states or provincial level players um, between sort of the ages of 18 and 22, let's say, and then you're good enough to, to make it in Perth, then you get an invitation to then come over and, and, and live and train in Perth full time. Um, for South Africa, it would be a little bit different. Um, I think that yeah, in South Africa, we've got a very good uh, and strong uh, school support system and school hockey uh, community, especially in Johannesburg. And the reason why I chose Johannesburg is, firstly, the South African Hockey Association is based in, in Johannesburg. Secondly, because there are a lot more schools in Johannesburg than there are in Cape Town or in Durban. Um, and that just means that there's, uh, there are more beds in hostels um, and more positions at schools as well uh, for, for players to coach. Um, <clears throat> And yeah, the main purpose uh, for what, I'm, uh, what I proposed was to ultimately get all players into one region and to be training for seven, eight, ten months of the year. You don't necessarily have to be training flat out all year round. Um, I think that you can have your training blocks um, and it's something that I, I, I forwarded to you guys. Um, you know, some more detailed plans of, of what uh, SA Hockey can do and what national programs can do as well. And I feel that you can, you can certainly train in the mornings from sort of Monday to Thursday like the, the Dutch do uh, in their training blocks um, leading up to, to major tournaments. They train... Um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on Thursday morning, and then on a Thursday uh, evening, they are then training with their, their club sides, which they are employed by as well. So there's a collaboration between the clubs and the national teams that if you have a national player and they go to a place called Papendal, um, those players then train together as a unit and then come and train uh, on a Thursday. It doesn't happen all year round. Sometimes your national players are with you on on your Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday training sessions as well. Um, so I believe that a training block where you, let's say you take it as a month, you have a month training block. And out of that month, you go, okay, for three weeks, we're going to be training together from Monday to Thursday. Um, and then we'll have a, a week break 
uh, for, for players to, to rest and recoup. And you do that. And then obviously, if you get closer into, uh, to tournament time, you now start training flat out for two months or three months before. Um, and uh, the idea was based because it needs to be based on a, on a zero funding model. Um, the, the idea is to, to use, uh, to work with our strengths and our strengths are our schools. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's for me, it's a, a a very straightforward suggestion. I mean, to to partner up with school. So, firstly, imagine you're giving these young guys an opportunity to to um, to have a job, to have a house over their heads, and heck, even potentially partner with the the universities, um, yeah. and and let them go study. Um, so we're providing them education as part of the program. Um, so you're getting education, you're getting work, and you are working in a, an environment where you stay together with the team. I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's a model that the USA women uh, followed, a very similar model, just because of the geographic size of the ca- country. They couldn't leave everybody separate. So they brought everybody to the training center. Um, and, and look what it did. It, they turned out to uh, be a pretty decent team. Um, and yeah, okay, it's now tailed off a bit with... Uh, uh, Yana leaving, but uh, you know, it, it shows that that model works. The Irish girls did it, they all stayed together for a, a period of time and it worked. And there's no reason why a, a, a commercial hub like Johannesburg couldn't be the host for something like this. No, absolutely. I think that if you want to compete at international level and not just sort of, yeah, compete in a tournament, but actually compete with the teams, you have to, you have to have your players training and playing together on a regular basis. And while, yeah, if I look back over my career, we, we, we've always had really good top quality international individual hockey players, but we've always struggled to come together as a team and, and, uh, and compete against these top nations. So we can, we can do it. We can continue the way we are and we can keep relying on individual performances to sort of get us to a certain point, but it's not going to get us over the line. Um, and yeah, there needs to come to a point where, yeah, we, we find a solution um, that, and that's why I'm proposing the solution that we can get ourselves from where we are, which is, I don't know, 15th in the world uh, into the top 10, at least with, with some solid performances and then start yeah, really competing um yeah, in the two to four years' time, let's say, if they had to start a program like this uh, today, um, they would start really competing in two to four years' time. And that's exactly what happened with Argentina, is that they they were all staying in one place and it was sort of like a youth hostel and it didn't look really, it wasn't really clean and, and whatever, but they were training and playing together and their top players were playing in Europe. So they were playing and and um, and and learning from uh, these, these leagues all over Europe and then bringing that knowledge back to, to Argentina. And the same would apply for us. We would have a couple of, of players or as many players as we possibly can that, goes and, uh, that go and play in Europe in the top leagues. And then you've got a base of players, I'd say between 15 to, to 20 or 20 to 25 players that 
are living and working in, in Johannesburg um, for only a few years. If, if you really wanted to, you could, you're asking players that are sort of between the ages of you know, 22 to 26 or you know, 21 to, to 30 or whatever it might be to, to take four years out of their life to, to compete for Olympic medal. And I think that if you, if you offered that to someone, you know, I think that they would really look at it and, and see the, the benefits far outweigh the, you know, the cons at the moment. Well, and, and we can also add to that the commercial benefits because you now are talking about a consistent program where these players are being seen. They're going around to schools where they're working. And so all of a sudden, a sponsor who comes on board is not just being seen at a World League or at an Open Series because these guys would, you know, you'd deck them out in kit. You'd put them in golf shirts with Investec branding on it. They'd be there all the time. They'd be appearing, you know, we could start having them together. We could get more media agencies to see them. Um, yeah. You know, currently you get your national team together at very different times or they'll come to uh, Randberg where some of the guys are training now, obviously the Joburg-based guys. Um but you know, you're all wearing different kits and we're not, yeah. You know, so I, I feel like if you brought everyone together, the commercial arm could be better. You could get them similar looking kit. We could get branded yeah. stuff. We could, and, and again, why not then go and play a test series? Now you've got people together. You play with the local guys, play a test series against Namibia. Yeah. yeah. Play a test series against the SA Masters. It's certainly a start, and it's and it's an opportunity. I mean, if we want to um, advertise at sort of a local schools level with uh, yeah with what you're proposing, then at least it's a start. It's somewhere that you can say, okay, well, we've got all these players into one area. We can now say to someone, okay, we can. This is what we can offer you. We're not offering you the world. We're not offering you sort of hockey on TV all the time, and you're going to be broadcast to millions of people. This is what we can offer you, and this is sort of the plan. This is how we want to go with SA Hockey from where we are, 15th in the world, and sort of just going to tournaments to now taking the next step and going, okay, uh, we're going to be uh, working hand-in-hand with you guys as the sponsor. We want you to understand what our plan is, and I think sponsors and corporates love plans. They want to see where their money is going to go in three or four years' time, and they don't just want to go, okay, just throw a bunch of cash in and, you know, you kind of do whatever you want with it. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, yeah I, I, I specifically look there. Sorry, sorry for the interruption. I specifically <laughs> look at a, an R&B with the rowing. So they have partnered up and their, their goal is to win medals. Their goal hmm. isn't to go to the Olympics. Their goal is to go to the Olympics and win medals. And it's been a long-term uh, partnership, but you can see they're working together. They're building academies. They're making sure they get the guys together. And yeah, yeah, okay, they only have to get four guys together, not twenty-four guys together. But it's a, a massive step uh, in the direction that we need to go. I think yeah, we're we're not going to get the government funding to compete in South Africa. So we need commercial funding. Yeah. Well. Your, your point is spot on. I mean, yeah, we know that hockey, you need sort of 18, uh, at least 18 players um, that you're going to be selecting, but you need a, at least 25 for a, as a squad, as a, as a greater squad. Um, and the, the point is perfect with the fact that 
you've got R&B jumping on board with with rowing South Africa, and you've got player, you've got rowers that are sacrificing. They're going to go live in, I think it's Limpopo somewhere, and 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 they are training together as a unit, and they're staying together for large parts of the year. So their end goal is to win Olympic medals, and yeah, it's it's certainly a little bit more um, challenging with a, a, a national program that is you have more individuals and it costs a lot more to go on a, on a tour it's over sort of, you know, over the million rand mark to send a, a, a team to Europe for a week um, or 10 days. And yeah, so that, those are the challenges that we see with SA hockey, where obviously it's a little bit different if you're, um, if you're a row and you've got sort of four or five guys that are going to, to, to a, a competition. But it essentially comes down to each individual understanding what their their end goal is and seeing that um, yeah it's not necessarily about uh, yeah what I like to do during sort of during the day and if it, I like to sort of sit on the um, on the beachfront and, and that's my life and yeah I I can't consider or fathom going and living up in Johannesburg then yeah, you find the right individuals that really want to, to, to be able to sacrifice anything in order to be able to at least compete and, and potentially win a, a medal at an Olympic Games or at a World Cup. And um, we can see it with, like you mentioned before, with, with the Irish, it didn't require a lot for them to actually to win a silver medal. Um, it still required them to, 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 to train together and for players to be living in Europe um, but we're not talking about like a 10 year plan now. We talk, it, it changed over sort of two years. Um, and yeah, I believe that we've got an, an incredible pool of, of hockey players in South Africa with you know, individual skill and to be able to, um, and individual performances to be able to compete with um, and to play in, in top teams in, in Europe. And you've seen it with a lot of players over the years. Um, both men and women, and it's now trying to just bring that all together and getting them to train consistently. I I don't know a team that don't train together and have still competed and done very well at international level. Um, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to find out. I mean, I I'd love to do some research and see, but yeah, I doubt that it's. Yeah, it might have happened once, but it doesn't happen because you need. You need that time together, and that's the most important thing. Lloyd, I've got to play devil's advocate, and I know that the question was posed to you, though, and and you had a, a quick rebuttal. Uh, you speak about sacrifices uh, in order to to compete at the Olympics and potentially or, or hopefully uh, medal at least. But, I mean, there, there are many, many sacrifices needed, including opportunity costs. So, I mean, you talk about that age range where they're going to give up four years of their lives. Uh, so... I mean, you're missing out on study opportunities, uh, obviously work commitments, etc. And and the other thing is a, a lot of people do have jobs as we speak. Well, most do because they have to, especially being in South Africa. And, and to up and leave uh, and to move provinces, to move cities is a tremendous sacrifice. And and, and you could potentially end a, 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 a career elsewhere. Um, and, and, yeah, what, how, how, would, how would one counter that? Yeah, so that is one of the reasons why I mentioned the sort of 21 to 22 um, 
starting point is mm. because a lot of a lot of uh, universities in the regions will be offering um, scholarships to to players um, that uh, yeah as they come out of school. So you're looking at players that have finished a three year degree. They're now 21 years old or they're 22 years old. Um, it's very or 16 if you were if you were Thai. Sorry, <laughs> 16 if you were Tyron. That's when he got his 16. degree. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's a one in a million. Um, so yeah, it's it happens. Um, it's quite seldom that you've got players that are coming in at, at, into the national team at the age of eighteen and nineteen. Mm. It happens sort of you know in each team you might have it once, twice. Um, yeah, I know. Obviously, like a guy like Mustafa Kasim, incredible talent, um, and he's only eighteen years old at the moment. Um, but yeah, he's a one in a generation type of hockey player. Um, but if you're talking about affording someone an opportunity to work, I think there's no better place if, for most industry to work in Johannesburg. Yeah. And I believe that we've got a hockey community, an old boys hockey community there as well that are, would be willing to, to assist with, um, you know, with finding players jobs. Um, and yeah, I believe that my, yeah, my uh, solution is not 100%. It's not foolproof, and this is this is the way that we need to do it. It certainly requires, um, yeah, some sacrifice from players if you want to be able to, um, yeah, if you want to be able to study and you and you have a, something that uh, is pretty specific and you need to go to a certain uh, university, then it, there needs to be some sort of um, understanding if you're. A, a, top quality international hockey player that you, know, you 100% would have been selected for the national side anyway. Then we've got, we've got um, a, a salute or a, 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 an issue for one player and it's maybe one or two players, but I don't see it being an issue for sort of 15 or 20 or 25 players that need to come live in Johannesburg. Um, you know, I believe that we've got, enough people sitting up in high enough places uh, in the hockey community, in, in the corporate world that can uh, yeah, find people jobs, um, yeah, help with internships uh, so that yeah, at least we're finding some balance with these players as well. So yeah, there's, it's not foolproof, like I say. It's not foolproof, but it's a start. And what I like is you're not just pointing out the problems, Chuck, you are throwing pos- possible solutions and uh you know, for somebody sitting over in Germany, you really don't have um, an obligation to be doing it, but you are. It shows you're engaged in, in the local community, and, and you that's what you want. You want the good of the game to grow, which is, is shining through. Um, for the listeners out there, you can also read uh, uh, Chuck's thoughts in the next Hockey the Magazine coming out on the 1st of October, um, discussing around the high-performance uh, set up for South Africa and what we can do. So uh, it's uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, well, I mean, I've read it already, but I'm looking forward to everybody else being a chance to read it. But Chuck, before we wrap up, I mean, it, would, it wouldn't it would be a Hockey the Podcast episode if we didn't give you a one-question quiz. Now, of course, the first time you get... Sorry, Ty, we had to have some dramatic effect for a change. Sorry, copyright <laughs> people. <laughs> it's okay, they're not listening yet. 
as long as we don't post it on YouTube, it's a bit better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so last time you were here, you remember Derek asked you a question about Chuck Norris himself. Um, I don't do the name questions. That's a Derek thing. I do a much more of your career questions. And so your question for today, if you're ready for the challenge, is... Ready as can be. You went to the 2006 Hockey World Cup with South Africa. Yes. I want to know who won the bronze medal at that tournament. Spain. You answered that very quickly. That means my question was too easy. It was, so Derek, let's it, just it, cut this. I'm going to have to it ask wasn't, a tough question. It wasn't too easy. I just remember in, um, in the, the party afterwards, um, <laughs> Santi Frasier was busy chewing uh, John Wright's ear off and he had a, a bronze medal around his neck. And... It was, yeah, I just remember the look on John Wright's face when, when I was walking towards him. He was just like, like oh, I have to deal with this guy again because he gets he got so much flack over the years um, from Santi and from the other two um, forwards from Spain that, yeah, it was just quite a, a funny um, moment and something I will never forget as well. Well, uh, Santi Frazier actually scored in that third-place game. Out of interest, do you remember who they beat in the third-place game? Um, was it Korea? It was Korea. Wow, it was Korea. So, uh, yeah, you're yeah. too good at this today. Uh, this is this is what happens when you've joined one of our lockdown <laughs> sports quizzes. So yeah, that Chuck but, was a team pink member. But you know I what else, Sai? The, the, the great thing is, is that it leads to a nice story. So he knew the answer, but not because yeah, yeah. Oh, I was sitting in the stands watching. It was because you were at a party. And one of our regular guests, John Wright, was getting spoken his ear off by a pissed player with a bronze medal around <laughs> his neck. So <laughs> really, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was good memories. It was my first tour and yeah, it's something that I'll never forget. And I was surrounded by some incredible hockey players um, that helped me in my international career. And yeah, guys that I looked up to um, before I even got to that, that point. So yeah, it was... There were a lot of uh, memories over that time um, with Revs as my coach as well that you know, I would never forget. So you've got to try harder there, Kajabi. Ah, brilliant stuff. <laughs> brilliant stuff. Well done. You got that one right. Uh, Chuck, yeah, obviously it's uh, been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Um, I love that you're coming up with ideas and, and I'm looking forward to more engagement on this on social media as we look at more ways to uh, take SA Hockey to the next level. Yeah, just to just to add my sort of last two cents, I think that so sort of what I was trying to um, create here was the fact that um, we try and we try and find solutions with um, with the issue of trying to get our national teams competing at the top level, but usually the solutions require a lot of funding, or and yeah, in this case, I've I've thought long and hard about it over the last. Um, couple of years um, where yeah we just need to find solutions that um, require zero funding or, or close to zero funding um, and use what we have at, at our disposal and I think that yeah over the years I've taken a lot of these ideas from uh, various um, various countries or various leagues and yeah, I tried to implement it into the solution that 
yeah, eventually, I, what I hope is that someone at Saha can actually see it and go, okay, well, at least we don't require any funding. All that we require is some, some work between ourselves and uh, Southerns and Northerns and Benoni even and, and Poch. And, yeah, creating a sort of unified Gauteng League um, because, like I've said uh, in, my, uh, in my post on Facebook or on my tweets, um, you know, the, the, the Joburg League used to have um, Pretoria-based teams involved as well. And, um, yeah, they, they eventually stopped that. And I believe that, you know, it was to the detriment of also um, of hockey in, in South Africa. We, you've, if you've got players that are coming from all over the country, uh, to Tuckies, and now they can only play in the Pretoria League. You know, they're not really challenging themselves. Um, and we can see over the years, uh, Northern's teams are still very competitive at international at uh, at IPTs. So it's you know, to me, it's it's an, it's better that if better that we collaborate as leagues as associations, and we try to find a solution at top level. And then from there, we can start developing an elite um, feeder system program in each of the provinces now that we can sort of a talent identify players and then um, send them to Johannesburg. And yeah, like you say, we can, you can read the article on Hockey the Magazine, um, but essentially the, the leagues in each of the, the provinces will get those players back for when it comes when it comes to IPT. So it's not like you're just you're giving up a player or some of the best players in your in your province. You you know that those players have to come back in order to play IPT. So yeah, it's just something, it's just an idea. Hopefully the, the South African hockey community can can sort of garner this some sort of uh, yeah support for this and start brainstorming and finding solutions for some of the holes that need to be plugged as well. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully we can implement something like this so that you know, we can get our national players training and playing together on a more consistent basis. Uh, Lloyd, it's been illuminating and thoroughly, thoroughly interesting uh, chatting to you again. And, and yeah, keep on finding the good fights. I want to say continue to be outspoken on social media, but it's not even really being outspoken. You're just uh, being a voice and, and, and creating uh, solutions as opposed to, uh, I think you did mention it, uh, as opposed to someone sitting in a bar at three o'clock in the afternoon talking about, geez, what could have happened back in the day uh, in terms of finding ways to, to make uh, better of the current situations that we find ourselves in. But uh, And it's great to see that the responses that you received following um, you're, you're very, very analytical and, uh, and detailed solutions posted uh, across social media. So thank you. It's been great to see. Yeah, thank you. Hopefully, the, hopefully we can just keep talking about it and brainstorming ideas. And yeah, we, we can implement something like this um, to yeah, better hockey in South Africa. I think that's the most important thing is that we've now, yeah, we've just, we've forgotten about sort of, how we can get there and we just want to get there. So uh, yeah, there, there needs to be a solution to the current problem that we have. And, and to, to say that there is no problem, yeah, then we, yeah, we certainly blinded as to, as to what's happening in hockey in South Africa. Well, you've always got a platform on this show if, uh, if you need to talk you, some guys. more. Uh, Lloyd Norris-Jones, it's been a pleasure as always. Enjoy Germany. And uh, if we don't chat you before then, uh, best of luck with uh, the birth of uh, your first child. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, yeah, I know that there, there's going to be a lot of caffeine filled and sleepless <laughs> nights. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm certainly looking forward to this next phase of my life. Oh, it's uh, it, it, obviously it's life changing, but uh, you you'll, you'll say it now, and once it happens, nothing better will take place in your life than uh, having a child. Awesome. I, I can absolutely guarantee that. Cheers, Lloyd. Thanks so much as always. Thank eh? you. Yeah, and thank you guys for all that you do for SA Hockey. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Derek, what's, what's really great and I enjoyed in that conversation is just the fact that uh, it's not just pointing out the problems, it's pointing out potential solutions and not just solutions that are, okay, let's get money and then we can fix this. Mm, yeah, it, it's not moaning. It, it's exactly that. It's coming with coming up with ideas to try and make things better. And, and let's face it, you can, nothing... I mean, people will say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, and many people argue that, that it is broke. But, but even those that don't, that will say, no, it's fine. Nothing is beyond being improved. Nothing is perfect. And, and yeah, there's, uh, the, the ideas that he came up with um, and was great on the show. And, I mean, you can follow him on social media and he gives a, a long, detailed discussion, uh, pretty much what, what he said, yeah. Uh, but... The, the responses are, I was really impressed to see because it opened a lot of people's eyes a, a, and that was the most revealing for me. No, 100%. And, you know, what I, what I just love is I love that, love that he, I mean, he's sitting in Europe. He could easily just turn a blind eye on South African hockey now and just finish out his playing days in Germany and he's had a good career, but he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be part of the solution and, uh, he knows that we can be, as South Africans, we can be challenging the best in the world because at a schoolboy level, we are up there with the best in the world. Yeah, no, completely. And and, and I like the fact that he, he speaks about the fact that Kaateng, with the, the pre, uh, pre prevalence of, of the schools here in the area, and I mean, of course, there are brilliant schools all over the country, but... Uh, there's there's no question that in the small space that we have, I mean, it's just wall-to-wall -wall schools and good schools. Uh, I, I just like the fact that he's covered all the bases. He said, you know, you need accommodation. You need uh, a place which is close to training grounds. You need a place which, obviously, the home of SA Hockey is, is based here in, in Johannesburg. Um, so, I mean, he said it's not foolproof and, and there's lots. It, it, it's a work in progress. But from what we've heard so far, uh, it certainly does offer um, some some potential greatness uh, when it comes to the sport in SA. Yeah, 100%. And all it needs is some administrator to say, let's give it a try. Because I, I look at it and I think, what are you losing? What are you losing from giving it a try? Um... Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you're not. Yeah, so so let's hold yeah. thumbs, and uh, I mean, it, it's one voice, but it's a very powerful voice. It's a strong voice, and it's one that people certainly listen to. And uh, never mind the voice. So he's he's got the talent to match. So he certainly knows what he's speaking about. So if uh, Lloyd Norris Jones has something to say about hockey, uh, it's best that people do sit up and take a listen uh, and speaking of listening uh, thanks very much for listening to us once again uh, episode 54 of Hockey the Podcast it's been great as always Ty yeah <clears throat> you, you've definitely been blessed you've been listening to the supermodel 
uh, <laughs> Lloyd Norris Jones, the sometimes model Derek Alberts, and the accounting model time. <laughs> Cheers, Sai. Have a great one. Catch you next Tuesday.